My name is Wayne Gindon. I came from, I was born in Prince Edward Island, the home of Anne of Green Gables, for those ladies that uh, read the book, and I still like the book myself. And I moved to British Columbia uh, when I was uh, in my 20s. And for the first time in my life, I really heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, how that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And I was convicted of my sin. I trusted Christ as my Savior. That was March 19, 1976. I had an interest in the Word of God. Uh, we're talking the other night over in Seattle. Uh, I was in a, a little assembly, Cosmopolis uh, Gospel Chapel. And I went into, I uh, was preaching over there. And I went into the, there was a little room off the bedroom. And there was a little table like this. And on the table there was a book. And uh, I looked at the, who owned the book before, Fred Elliott, who was Jim Elliott's dad. And that was sort of uh, something that really impressed me because as a young man, I read Through Gates of Splendor and Shadow of the Almighty in those books. And I was impressed to serve the Lord and to be a missionary. And I went to El Salvador as a missionary in 1997. I am very fortunate to have uh, two very good friends. One of them is here tonight, Brother Tim Hood, who shares the gospel with so many people. Not all of us have that same passion, that same drive, that same ability. You know, sometimes you go up and, and you have the desire in your heart. You want to open up and, and you see that person in their greatest need and you just like stumble over your own footsteps and over your own tongue and you just can't seem to put it out. And sometimes that's why we even need uh, like a, a how-to on how to share the gospel and ways that we can can do it. And, and, you know, we went up to a place uh, last week, two weeks ago, Tim Hood and I and, and uh, three other guys. And there's one guy, man, he, he loves knocking on doors and knocking on doors. And, and a lot of us, we really find a hard job knocking on doors. So later we come down to the, to the place where we, where we had hot dogs set up. We had a table there. And Tim set up a sketchboard, and, and while he was setting up a sketchboard, I grabbed the microphone, and I get up, get out there, and we start preaching in the open air, and, and Tim says to our friend, he says, hey, grab the mic there and, and give her a whirl. Oh, no, 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 I'll just cook hot dogs here. You know, and here's the guy that is not afraid of knocking on doors. You mean, like, like to me, put me in the open air, and I'm, I feel free, I feel liberty, and so on. Buenas noches por mis hermanos que hablan español, porque he visto algunos aquí. Uh, bienvenido. Uh, so I went to El Salvador as a missionary in 1997. This afternoon, Tim and I, we went over to, to find a cell phone, uh, a card for me, so I'd have something if we get separated, if I get lost. And we met a young girl in there by the name of Clara, and she was from the Dominican Republic. And Tim had a beautiful opportunity to share the gospel. We were sort of tag-teaming. I would speak to her in Spanish, and he would speak to her in English, and we're back and forth. So pray for this girl because, you know, after we finished... Her eyes were like this. She was watching and watching like this. And I know I'm sort of getting sidetracked from my, from my subject, but this is the, the beauty of it when we work together and we're sharing the gospel. And after it was all over, she says, wow, I learned something today. You know, it was interesting because she says, you know, I, how do you get to heaven? You know, basically what was, Tim, was Tim's bottom line. How do you get to heaven? By being a good person, by doing the best you can and so on. And then... 
we start talking and then she said something, oh, 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 well, I'm a Christian. And so I start speaking to her in Spanish and, and covering this sort of ground. She basically, she heard the gospel and was starting to come back to her. But I said, okay, well, what are you really basing your salvation on? What are you trusting to get there? You know, so basically she had her eyes open tonight. Uh, you know, we brought her from from just uh, living for the world and just uh, hoping that everything is going to work out great at the end. So what we're doing here tonight also is... Okay, there's a brother there with the, with the glasses in the back. You're having a Bible study tomorrow morning with Umberto e and Joe. Okay, so, so two guys, sounds like one of them is Spanish, and that's why he didn't come. Okay, he says he was coming. I lived in El Salvador for 10 years. I, I, I bought so many chairs because I'd go out into the town and I'd invite people to meeting and everybody was coming. And my wife speaks Spanish. She's from Guatemala. We lived in El Salvador. So I would have to come home and buy another hundred chairs because so many people were coming and then nobody would come, you know. So I'd sell those chairs and then I'd go, uh, I'd get discouraged and then I'd go out visiting again and then all these people would say they're coming. Now buy another bunch of chairs. Now I'm just joking about buying all those chairs and selling them. But you get the idea. Okay, so so the Bible study he's going to have tomorrow is not the kind we're having tonight. He's going to have a gospel Bible study. He's going to be bringing these young men to scriptures that will help them to see, first of all, that they're sinners. And, and maybe we need Bible studies like that, too, so that we know how to evangelize. Tim was talking about some of this stuff at supper time tonight, how we have to locate people and show them that they're sinners, that they're lost, they don't have a hope of getting into heaven by their own good works, and show them that Christ is the only answer. So, uh, tonight, how to study the Bible? Why should we study the Bible? Here's a question. Do you think when the Philippians got their letter that they said, okay, boys, let's gather around and start studying this? Or do you think they just sort of sat there and listened to some of these letters? We heard these missionary letters tonight. Okay? Do you think they actually said, okay, what does verse 1 mean? Do you think they did that? People say, no, no, of course they didn't. Okay, well, well, Paul wrote to the Romans. Okay? And and Tim was quoting from Romans chapter 4 tonight. Listen to this verse, and you tell me what it means. But don't think about it. Just answer like this. Okay? Romans 4 and 16 says, Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace, to the end that the promise might be sure to all a seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that which is also of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. That was a mouthful. Do you know how many phrases there were? There were eight different phrases in that one verse. Eight different sections to that one verse. And if you take them by one by one and start saying, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Then you'll sort of come to an understanding of what he's dealing with here. So sometimes when we get to the Bible, we think, well, I'll just read it through. I have one friend, you know, uh, I said, well, you know, how, how much how much Bible do you read every day? He said, well, I don't even read a chapter. And he said, and this guy is a student. And he said, I just get into that one chapter and I just start studying this here and this here. But, you know, if you're a young Christian and if you read less than a chapter a day, he said, I might only read a few verses. If you only read a few verses a day, you're not going to get to know the Bible. You know, I've stayed with Tim a couple of times and each time I do, when I come down from my room or up from my room wherever I'm staying, do you know what I see him doing? 
He's got his computer out there or a Bible, and he's reading his Bible. I go go later in the afternoon, I see him, he's reading his Bible. He's reading his Bible. So what's that going to do? Well, first of all, you have to familiarize yourself with the Scriptures. You have to sort of get the whole big picture. You just can't take Romans chapter 4 and verse 16 and take one little part. You have to sort of get the overall picture of what Paul was saying to the church. So there's a few principles I want to lay out. First of all, before we start Bible study, we have to pray. We have to pray. What do we pray? Seems like a simple question, isn't it? Well, first of all, we should pray that we're a clean vessel. Do you think God's going to use a dirty vessel tonight? Do you think he's going to use this gentleman this morning to work tomorrow morning to work with these two young men if he's uh, sitting watching dirty television shows all night tonight? God can't use a, a vessel like that, can he? Well, the next thing we have to remove, pray to remove all preconceived ideas because some of us, we grew up in other religions and other churches and so on. So all of a sudden we have all the stuff that people taught us that weren't biblical. So we have to say, Lord, take all those preconceived ideas and take them away from me. And then thirdly, we should pray that God will reveal his truth to my heart. And then fourthly, that God would apply that truth to my heart and that I would put it into practice. What does James say? Be ye not hearers of the word, but doers also. So that's the first thing that we should be praying. And then then there's some rules in Bible study. The first one is observation. What do I see? Some people say, what does it say? I like to think about what do I see because right now we're on a fact-finding mission. We're going to that passage and we're looking at some things. So before we even do that, we're going to read John, third John. The elder to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper. Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Even as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatsoever you do to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of your charity before the church, whom if you bring forward on their journey after a godly measure, you shall do well. Because that for his name's sake, they went forth taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. I wrote to, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, receives us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds, which he did, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith, neither did he himself receive the brethren, and forbids them that would, and casts them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that does good is of God, but he that does evil has not seen God. Demetrius 
as a good report of all the men and of the truth itself, yea, and we also bear record, and you know that our record is true. I had many things to write to you, but I will not with ink and pen write to you, but I trust I shall shortly see you, and we shall speak face to face. Peace be to you. Our friends salute you. Greet the friends by name. So the first question we say, what do I see? What does it say? And then you have some questions that you learned when you were in school. Why, what, where, who, when, and how. So that's the first rules of observation. So basically, we're looking at the passage and we're trying to see what God has for us. So, so the first thing when I look through this chapter, the first thing I see is some people. I see a number of people in this chapter. The first person I see is the elder. Who is the elder? Well, we know that was John. And then the letter was written to Gaius in, in verse 1. And then when we get down a little bit farther in verse 9, we see a, na- a man by the name of Diotrephes. And then we get down a little bit farther and we see another man by the name of Demetrius. So we're talking and we're learning about four different people in this book to start off with. And then when you were reading through, did you notice that there were any words that kept recurring over and over again? You know, sometimes when, when people are in this uh, in, as Christians, and they're saying, why should I be studying the Bible? I used to be an insurance agent. To get my exams, I had to memorize long lists of definitions like coinsurance and, and subrogation and all these kind of words that the rest of you never heard or don't know anything about. And when you get your insurance policy, you don't even want to pay it and so on. But all these things you have to understand. Can you imagine a guy that he goes to school and he's going to be a brain surgeon? And you say, well, good for you, you know, I, I, all the best to you, you know. And then one day, all of a sudden, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, well, you've got a brain tumor. You're going to have to go in for an operation. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to think about that guy and you say, I wonder was he like the, like the brethren at our chapel, you know. He studied the Bible for half an hour a week. You know, he studied how to be a brain surgeon for half an hour a week when he was going to school. Were you hoping that he was doing his homework and, you know, answering all and studying it and investigating all that stuff? Or sort of, uh, I, I sort of know more or less how it goes. You know, my dad was a butcher, so, you know, I think I'll do okay here. You know, but all of a sudden, you and I, we're dealing with the souls of men and women. And they're going to be in eternity Maybe because you mishandled the Word of God. Brother Tim was talking about young men that thought they were doing service for God and they were preaching the gospel and they were ridiculing people in front of others and they were thinking they were doing service for God. How about the people from Westboro Church? They think they're doing service for God when they go on protesting at the military uh, funerals and things like that. It's a disgrace. So you and I were ambassadors for Christ. So it's, it's our duty as we take the word of God and handle it that we're, we're looking at these scriptures. You know the word truth repeats itself over and over and over. Do you think truth is important? The apostle John did. Six times over when he's talking to Gaius, he's talking about truth. And then he uses the word true once. And then he uses the word trust. So, can people trust you? 
Do you have the truth? Remember Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. So then we have something called correlation. How does all this fit in? You know, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Are they all the same? You know, you look at the Gospels. You know, some people have this idea that, uh, okay, Mark was the first Gospel that was written, and then Matthew copied some of, of Mark, and Luke copied, they, they copied almost all of it. And then John, he was off on a, on a tangent there, and he was doing something completely on his own. So they call the first Gospels as the, the synoptic Gospels, which basically means with, uh, no, uh, seen together. That's what the word means. synoptic means. They're seen Optic is I, and, and see, understand that. So they're seen together. So, so they, they sort of correspond. There was a story about a, a taxi driver. And you know taxi drivers. You know, they don't have a reputation as great drivers, or maybe just because they drive so much they get into accidents. So this taxi driver, he painted his car right down the middle. One side was red, and the other side was blue. And one of his friends come up, well, why did you do that? He said, well, you know how many accidents guy get in, so I defies the plan. Whenever I'm in an accident, the witness can never agree on anything. Some say the car was red and others say the car was blue, you know. So you have Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but these guys are not conflicting their information. It's supplementary information that we're looking at. So if you want to read about Gethsemane, you read in Matthew, in Mark, and Luke, and then you compile the, the three events, and then you start comparing. Sometimes he said, if it is possible... Let this cup pass from me. And then he says, if it's, he said, if it's your will, let it pass from me. So there's two things. It's possible. The Lord says, yes, it's possible. But is, is, does the Lord want Jesus not to drink of that cup? No, of course, we know that he had to drink of that cup so that you and I could be redeemed. So and then the next thing we come to is interpretation. This is the hard part, isn't it? We can gather all the information and part of our interpretation when it's wrong is because we have a lack of Bible knowledge. We could all only have read Matthew. That's the only Bible we read because that's my favorite and I'm just going to read Matthew. So you have to read, brothers and sisters. You have to read your Bibles. Get up in the morning like Brother Tim and read. But some of you, you don't like the mornings. You're like me. I like the nights. I'm up at 12 o'clock. Well, Tim, he's up in the morning and at night, you know. So, But, you know, I like the nights, you know. I get up in the morning. I don't even want to eat in the morning, you know. So so you have to accept that as yourself. And, and I used to beat myself up for it all the time because, because you know, I wasn't up at 5 o'clock in the morning reading and so on. But when my wife is sleeping at 9 o'clock, I'm up reading from 9 till 12 and I'm studying. And that that's my my hour where I feel feel strong and so on. So... Here's one, one rule about ter- uh, interpretation, the, is what does it mean? Well, there's the context rule. And what is that? That the context rules. Look at what's before, look at what's after. The context, you have to look at the passage in the, in the whole. You just can't take one verse out and hang it by itself and say, yeah, that's what I'm going to start believing. And then the next part is, how does it apply to me? Or how does it apply to the people that are listening to me? Because right now, I'm speaking. So when I speak, you're supposed to be listening. And then if you're saying, well, yes, I haven't really been studying. Well, we would hope that 
you would say, okay, I'm going to start studying my Bible. So, so then what, what I usually do when I get a passage like this, I would tell people, if I'm teaching people to study the Bible, I'd say, find a Bible that doesn't have any hiddings in it. Verses 1 to 6 say this. Verses 7 to 11 say this. I would say, find a Bible that's just plain text. So don't use a study Bible when you're studying. That doesn't make sense, does it? Well, what I'm saying, when, when you first start studying the Bible, I want you to find out what God is saying to you. So when you read it, when you read it through, ask God to speak to me. And you get as much out of that text before you look in your study Bible or look in your Matthew Henry or you're looking in your William MacDonald commentary. Go and find out what God is saying to you and God will feed you and God, and you will be surprised when God shows you something per, Personal, you're saying, wow, this is, this is exciting as I open up the Word of God. So, so then what I do, I have two little kids. My, my, my daughter is 11 years old, Christy Amanda, and she has, uh, uh, writing assignments. And my son, uh, Caleb is 14. And, uh, sometimes they come home from school and they have a, a story that they've written. So when they write, when they bring this story, my little girl, she's in grade six this year, so her last compositions were uh, when she was in grade five. She brings this home, and she has an A on this story, or a B, or a C, or whatever. And I look at that, and I say, you got an A on that. And I'm, I'm saying, congratulations. But in my, in my heart, I'm saying, this is terrible. She doesn't have any uh, capital letters at the beginning of the sentence. She doesn't have any periods. The sentences run on and on and on, and it's all sort of and, 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 and everything is sort of like all garbly gook, but you say, well, the teacher's trying to show her step by step what to do. Okay, but if you wrote that same story that, 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 my, that my daughter wrote, and, and the teacher wouldn't give you an A. The teacher would give you an F for, for failure, Right? So, so what, what am I getting at here? Well, as we progress in the things of God, hopefully we're starting to learn what the scriptures say. So the first thing I say, well, the first thing, Christy, you have to do is you have to think about a story. And if you're, if you're going to think, of, and this is the way I tell people to divide it into paragraphs. If you say, explain your day. Well, I get up and I took a shower and I had my breakfast. Okay, we can say that's one paragraph. And then the second one, you get on the bus and you went to work and you did, and then number three, you did your work and you had your lunch and then you come home. And then that night, you went, you sat in front of the television all night and then you went to bed. So there may be five sections in the story. And the same thing when John is writing here. The first section we're reading, if you were following it through, where would you have put the divisions? If you had to divide this chapter, into three different sections, how would you have divided it? Well, who's the first person that John is talking about? Who's the first person he's talking about? Gaius, okay, or Gaius, okay, in, P, in PEI we say Gaius, okay, or Gaius, okay. So he's talking about Gaius. So how many verses talk about Gaius? Just skim down through the chapter. How many verses are talking about Gaius? Eight, the first eight verses are talking about Gaius. And then he says, I wrote unto the church, but who? Diotrephes. So then he starts talking about in verses 9 and 10 are talking about 
diatrophies. It's very clear. Some people will say, well, well, uh, verse 12, it doesn't start until Demetrius until verse 12. But, but if you, if you notice, verse 11, he says, beloved. So that, that's a little bit of a hint that he's starting a new thought because in verse 9, he's talk, 9 and 10, he's talking specifically about diatrophies. And then in verse 11, then he's back to Gaius and then he's telling Gaius and he said, you know, there's another guy in contrast to Diotrephes, his name is Demetrius. Okay, so, so let's, let's go up to, to verse 1. So we see the first one about Gaius. He was a man that was rendering hospitality. That's what we see about him. He was receiving the brothers and he was, he was bringing them along on their journey. And then in verses 9 and 10, we see a man who was refusing hospitality. He wouldn't receive us. He wouldn't even receive the Apostle John. Not just the other brothers. And, and also the other brothers that come along, Diotrephes say, no, I don't want you to receive that guy. He was influencing other people. So then you, if you look at the last section, we see a man who was receiving hospitality, Demetrius. He was a man that was being received and was enjoying the things of God. So uh, we're, we're almost uh, we're going to 8:30s, and we've got about two minutes left here. So I just want to look at the first verse, just to sort of get us into it, and then next week we're going, to, we're going to go through it verse by verse. There's also seven questions that you should ask yourself, and at the end of this study, you will be able to answer those seven questions. The first question is: Is there an example to follow? I'm going to repeat these next week. Is there a sin to avoid? Is there a promise to claim? Is there a command to obey? Does it teach me about God and specifically the person of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit? Is there a need to pray for? Is there a difficulty to explore? So some of these are questions because we want the Word of God applying to our lives. And next week I want you to have your Bibles open because we're going to be going through these verses verse by verse and sort of trying to grasp what what uh, John is actually saying to us. So it starts off the elder or the or the the person that is whether it's elder in leadership or whether it's elder in seniority or, or age. He's writing the letter to who? To Gaius. But it's not just Gaius. It's a well beloved Gaius. So how are we loved? Can you think of any verses in our New Testament that talk about God's love? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So first of all, he's not, he's not just loved by John, he's loved by God. And then there's another verse, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples that you have love one to another. So when we read stuff like that, the Word of God is like a mirror. Can you look around the audience here tonight? I don't know anybody here except Tim. I, I met uh, Malcolm, right? And, and I'm, I met Rachel a few months ago up in Canada. So I know about three people here. Okay. Uh, I, I just met some of these people today. So, so, so it's, it's interesting. But... When you come into people's houses and automatically you feel like you're loved. 
That's a wonderful thing. How does that happen? Because Christ loved us, Christ forgave us, and because the brothers and sisters have been forgiven, all of a sudden they will accept people that they normally wouldn't have accepted before. Isn't it wonderful? We're not only accepted in the beloved, we're accepted by the brothers and sisters. They can overlook all our faults and they can still love us. To be in a, in a Christian assembly where brothers and sisters show a genuine love for you. It's a wonderful thing. But the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. That's why you're loved. Because they love you in Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the love that we have one for another. You know, we went up to, to Balakula, and we're working with Native Indians up there. And Native Indians seem to have a bad rap in, in Vancouver and in, in lots of parts of the world. And part of the reason, if you go up to, to Canada and you drive through the reservations, you'll see cars that are turned upside down and and uh, and you'll see uh, a bunch of uh, garbage every place and people are always thinking like this. Listen, these people, they don't pay any taxes. We're sending money up to them and we're supplying all their needs and so on and so on. And these people are wasting all the money and stuff like this. So people, when I go back to Vancouver, people say, well, you know, now that you're up there working with natives, how do you feel about the natives now? I say, worse. Now, just don't jump on me yet, okay? I feel worse in the sense that when we were involved personally, you see everything that I said was true. You see a lot of drunkenness. You see sex abuse that is rampant. You see children that are abandoned by their, by their parents. I went on one balcony there, and there was about three televisions and a couple of computers, and I'm thinking, man, you know, like how, where do these guys get all this here money? But the other aspect is I love them more. How, how can you say that? You feel worse? No, you feel worse in the sense that here are a people that are lost, they're trying to fill their, need, their, their needs because every one of us have needs. And basically, the greatest need we have is to be loved. And they're trying to fill it with things or with alcohol or, or with all kinds of things. But all of a sudden, when I see Brother Tim and I see Brother Rob and Brother Gordon and Neil that was with me, and going and talking to people and loving them, caring about their eternal souls, then I see... 3 John chapter 1 and verse 1, I see it fulfilled. Because here are people paying for this trip out of their own pocket. There's nobody up there that were sending us money. We drove all the way up there. We paid for our food and we paid for the place we stayed in. And we were doing it out of the love of Christ that He has shed abroad in our hearts. So it, the, the missionary work is wonderful, reaching out to lost people because someone, the man that came to preach the gospel where I was living, he traveled 4,000 miles. He left Prince Edward Island. He came to British Columbia and he preached the gospel there and I heard the good news and I was saved. But there was a, even a greater journey than that. The Son of God left the splendor of heaven. He come all the way down to this sinful earth where they took him and they nailed him to a cross for your sins and for my sins. That was the greatest rescue mission ever. Hopefully we'll get into this here next week.
verse by verse, and, and we want to go through, and I want to help you, because this is important. You have a Bible study here every week, and it's the same in Canada, and the biggest problem we don't have participation is because people do not come prepared. And sometimes the sisters say, well, why should I be coming prepared? Because I can't participate vocally. Listen, if you come prepared in your hearts, you're going to enjoy the study. You're going to say, yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Or maybe you can take the young guy aside later and twist his ear and say, that's not what that says. You know, you should be proactive in the study. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you because you first loved us. Father, we're thankful for brothers and sisters with a heart for God to serve him. Yes, we've been plucked as brands from the burning. We were on that downward path and we didn't even know it. Your word says that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. We think of these two men that will be meeting for Bible study tomorrow with his brother. Pray for Umberto and Joe. Pray for our brother as he would open up the word of God to them, that he would find those specific scriptures. We pray for this girl, Clara, again. Father, we're thankful for this message. It was a divine intervention in her life today. It was a divine appointment. We think about the many places we could have gone to get a SIM card and we went there and she received a message from you Lord we're thankful for this we just pray your blessing upon our lives as we minister to you here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ Amen